one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space, episode 432, for the week of Monday, October 8th, 2012. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Glad to be back, Sawyer, and glad to be talking some great news. Glad to have you back, and welcome as well, the man of the hour, Mark Ratterman. I guess the question is, what's the great news? Because I've had a real split personality thing going on as to what I've been most fascinated with the last few days. But yeah, we'll we'll get into that as we talk. I know what the number one headline is. Indeed, the number one and probably only headline for us tonight is some major news in the world of private space. And if you've been keeping up with the world of space news, you could probably guess what our topic will be. And our main topic tonight is the successful launch of SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket carrying a Dragon capsule to the International Space Station. The mission, dubbed CRS-1, is the first operational flight launched by SpaceX to the International Space Station after their successful test flight to the station in May. The rocket lifted off from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station at 8.35 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, October 7th, reaching orbit about 10 minutes later after what appeared to be a flawless launch. I use the word loosely appeared as it turned out that it did make it into a perfect orbit after a little bit of engine trouble with what they are calling an engine anomaly. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, first off, uh, to uh, to continue with with what you were saying, Sawyer. Indeed, this is the uh, the first paid launch of uh, of the the Falcon Dragon combination. Um, the uh, the Falcon Nine Dragon combination on this flight carried about a thousand pounds of supply to the International Space Station. Included about you know, if I'm and I'm reading this directly from the press kit here. Um, uh, a whole bunch of materials support about 166 investigations planned for uh, the ISS Expedition 30, 33 crew. Um, and Dragon's also going to be returning about uh, 734 pounds of uh, scientific material. And this is what kind of sets this particular mission apart. We finally have the down mass back, um, which means that we can go ahead, send things, you know, send items up to the International Space Station and, of course, bring. Uh, some experiments down, and I remember during the the press uh, conference, or I think it was actually during the the launch coverage, um, somebody was saying that there has had, there's there's a, a freezer that they're going to be bringing back down uh, that is just loaded with uh, with uh, you know science samples and so on that they have not been able to bring back down since shuttle retired, 
So this is going to be the first time they're going to do that. So it's kind of going to be kind of exciting to get that results back. But uh, yeah, Sawyer, you were you were talking about a, a little bit of a of a wrinkle that happened during ascent, and I believe this happened about uh, one minute twenty nine seconds, one minute thirty seconds into the flight. Actually, it was one minute and nineteen seconds in yeah. approximately. The Falcon Nine uh, rocket detected what they are quote calling the press release quote an anomaly. In uh, in engine one, which uh, essentially made it uh, uh, shut down, it was a loss of pressure. Loss of pressure. Um, the engine didn't explode, according to SpaceX, because they continued to uh, receive data from it. And what uh, it it, it kind of looked weird on television. So you and I were talking talking about this pre-show. It kind of looked like you know some something blew off there. And and you were looking at the SpaceX feed. I was looking at the NASA feed, and it kind of sort of looked like the the Falcon kind of went through a a cloud, and that's what you and I kind of initially thought. Um, right. On my end, I was watching the SpaceX feed primarily, and what I saw was it appeared as if ice of some sort was coming off of the vehicle, which, you know, right. in some launches is normal, although it seemed a little late in the launch for that. But I, it looked like that, and then it looked like it got dimmer as it went through a cloud. I mean, that's what it appeared like, but it turns out that that was spacecraft pieces. Yeah, and and uh, according to uh, the uh, the SpaceX uh, press release here, these these were panels that were designed to to relieve pressure with within the engine bay, and um, they were basically ejected to uh, protect the the stage and the other engines. So though that that you know debris that looked like it was flying off was actually planned. Um, they are reviewing the flight data, and uh, it indicates that neither the so far, the, it indicates neither the rocket stage or any of the other eight eight engines were affected by the by this little you know quote anomaly close quote. It the the flight computer on board uh, Falcon went ahead and made its adjustments and said, okay, fine, we're going to burn the the other eight engines a little longer. And uh, essentially, the Falcon behaved what the Falcon behaved as programmed in an event like that, but. You know, a it, it shows the robustness of the system. It shows that you know, number one, that the thing actually works and and does what it's supposed to do. But b, you still had an engine failure, and you have to figure out what the devil happened with that. Um, one of the things I didn't like, and and again, sorry, we, we you and I talked about this during the pre-show. One of the things that I didn't like in 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 the press in the press release was they were actually comparing Falcon to to the Saturn V. And I don't think that's a fair comparison when you look at look at the capability Saturn had and so on. But I guess it's you know somebody I remember uh, today out in Twitter uh, was saying yeah I guess Musk is quite a showman trying to compare Saturn with uh, with Falcon, and I, I really didn't think it was was a fair comparison. But it talked about engine failures. I mean okay fine Saturn had an engine failure during uh, during Apollo 13 the the center engine cut out. Uh, even shuttle had an engine failure um, early in its in its history on on ascent. And I believe that was uh, shuttle Challenger back in uh, I think it was around 1985, and uh, they had to do a you know they had to do a abort to orbit on that. Uh, it's you know again they'll do their 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 failure analysis on what happened to engine one, and uh, they'll they'll probably come up with an answer. But um, yeah, again you you don't want uh, you don't want an engine failure. And uh, and and it happened, and you have to figure out why. And it goes to show again. Uh, and and Mark, uh, you were over at the press conference, so you you kind of heard this sort of thrown around a lot. Space flight's hard, and each time these things fly, 
there's always something that makes you think, oh, geez, this this will never work again. And this, I guess, is one of those times. But uh, they'll do their homework. They'll get it. They'll get it right, and uh, they'll probably have it fixed by CRS too. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really interesting the way that they mentioned that, like you were talking about in the press release with the whole comparison to Saturn. But the one thing I think that they're really trying to state and that they're really trying to prove, which they've been trying to do this whole time, is say that, hey, we are great when it comes to redundancy. We've got everything necessary to prove that we are safe. You know, we can have one engine entirely have a problem and still, you know, make it to orbit perfectly. It's just... You know, the computers on board make a split-second correction, and they continue on course. Because um, I know that one thing that they were talking about as well is that during parts of the flight, they actually shut down two of the Falcon engines, at least according to that press release. That's very true. And they're saying, too, that uh, you could have, I believe, and Sawyer, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the press release said that you could actually have two engines go out and still make it, uh, you know, make the mission. Uh, well, I actually, I asked Gwen Shotwell about this back in May uh, in a press conference. Right, and, I remember that. And this was her response. It depends on the phase of flight. Uh, we need to lift off with all nine, which is why we aborted. Uh, you can lose, uh, I believe, up to two flights, or excuse me, two engines, and still make your mission, just not at liftoff. So yeah, like she said, nine engines for launch, but other than that, you can still have two fail. And in this case, one did. But the one thing that I was really surprised at is, even though it was another engine pressure issue, like that first right. scrub, is the whole thing about you know the parts being released to relieve pressure, I, I still don't get that. It seems like it'd be more dangerous to actually you know, run the risk of basically blowing apart parts of the engine. Doesn't that seem kind of dangerous? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you've got things flying, you know, I mean, I, I really hate to bring up SGS-107, but you, you, when you have a piece of something fly off, that's not necessarily a good thing, and uh, especially at those speeds. And I believe, Sawyer, that happened during, you know, af just after Max-Q, if I'm not mistaken, during the ascent, right? About, yeah, because the one thing that I was really concerned about is, what if one of those pieces hits another engine? And then that one does the same thing. There's two engines. And if that happens to multiple engines, there's three. You've got a problem immediately. Yeah, so, I, again, I don't know what if anybody's figured out what the, ge you know, what, what the geometry of, of the situation is and so on. And I don't think um, we'll honestly ever know based on the way that SpaceX is, you know, trying to shoo this off as if nothing happened. Well, I mean, with all due respect, I, I think everybody kind of sort of saw them and saw what happened and okay fine i think they really really got caught with their pants down but um uh with with respect you know again they they owned up with it i mean i i know mark you had uh, you, you were at the press conference i think bill harwood was also trying to to kind of pursue that a little bit um uh, as far as engine one was concerned and i don't think when shotwell at that time had all the data uh, that she needed to, 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 you know, report back to Bill. But Correct. Her, um, her response was that uh, she was in a hurry to get from the launch complex out to the press site for the briefing and that she hadn't had time to talk to her propulsion people. She said there was an anomaly and that uh, they'd be looking into it, but she didn't have anything to, to give in detail. And then she repeated the comment we've been talking about, how they can lose two engines and still safely uh, accomplish their mission. Right. 
but um, uh, at, at any rate, um, yeah, I think I think SpaceX is just trying to go ahead and say, okay, fine, we do have redundant systems. Yes, this the, the you know they're really trying to go ahead and and try to quell fears too, but saying, hey, we know what we're doing. I mean, because a lot of people still aren't taking this commercial thing seriously. And I think that's what they're trying to do. They say, hey, we got it. Don't worry. Um, you know, our redundancy systems worked. Yes, we're aware of this problem. And yes, we're going to fix it. But Sawyer, as you pointed out, again, a pressure system with an, en- you know, pressure problem with an engine. So, you know, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to just take a, a wait and see position on this and, and see what happens uh, down the road. But uh, um, they may have to look at this a little further, I think. I think so, too, because, again, like I was saying, the last time that they had a problem with the engine pressure was back in um, May when, Mark, you and I were there for the uh, test flight to the station. And one thing that was interesting is just, you know, that it happened again. And I have a feeling they have something to look at, except this time it was engine number one. I don't recall what engine number it was in May. I'm sure we can track that down, Sawyer. And, and I believe it might have been Engine 5, but still, regardless, that's two launches in a row. I think you got something that needs to be looked at there. But regardless, they're in orbit. And regardless as well, Mark, you saw the launch where the engines continued after T-minus 0.5 seconds, unlike when you and I were there in May. So how was it? How was launch? How does it compare to some of the other rockets you've seen, like, for example, the shuttle? Well, it was really cool to have the uh, launch commentator say liftoff and actually see Dragon clear the tower. That was uh, <laughs> that felt that felt really good. You know, I joked about it. I, I was holding my breath until it cleared the uh, the launch complex, and I, I don't really know if I was or not. I was just watching and watching and watching. It's like, okay, come on, let's have some vertical up, up, up. Oh, goody, this looks better. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite a thrill, and, uh, you know, that rumble that we heard Sawyer back in May with Ignition was followed along by uh, some real good sound coming across the water. Uh, I was at the NASA Causeway. That's where the press was. Uh, Apparently, the visitor center had set up some special tours, and they had bus after bus after bus at another section of the Causeway. They had grandstands set up, and apparently they had a deal for... uh, you know, customers to come out there and, and see the launch from the causeway. And so paying customers got the same treat that the press did, and it was good. It was a good launch. Um, you got a lot of good vibration, a lot of heavy sound coming at you, not like a shuttle launch with the SRBs, but still it was a, it was a uh, impressive launch. I've seen a couple of different rockets now, and they're all good. I would. I mean, you're still talking nine engines. Yeah. Yeah, and it what surprised me was it it lit up the sky very you know it really lit the sky up good, and it, I heard some photographers talking about shooting uh, you know shooting a night launch and here's the rule of thumb and uh, you know you can do this but up at a certain point you want to shoot it just like you would a day launch and my thought was how do you shoot any of this stuff? <laughs> 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 but you know. That's the guys with the uh, megabuck bags of camera gear and me with my point-and-shoot. Yeah. That's why we're an audio, not a video podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, 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 okay. You guys, last week, you know, I, I unfortunately I wasn't here uh, last week due to uh, some uh, some family uh, issues. But uh, um, you guys had last week had a little bit of a bet, I understand. And um, <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm sure if you'd been here, you'd have voted right, wouldn't you, Gene? Uh, no, I probably would have voted with Sawyer. So really? Let's, let's, yes. Let's, let's repeat, Sawyer. What was our uh, what was a short version of our discussion on last week? Well, the discussion was with SpaceX's record of not launching any Falcon nines on their first attempt. Would that continue? Would they launch on their first attempt? Mark, usually the pessimist, was the optimist and said, "Yeah, they're going to go on their first try." Me. I switched roles. I went with Mark's usual decision. I said, no, with the record that they've had so far, there's no way that they're going to launch on time on their first attempt. My thought was they haven't launched on time yet, um, and I didn't think they, they were going to launch on time primarily because the weather really wasn't looking all that well at that point in time either. And uh, uh, it, it improved tremendously uh, as as the day went on. You know, I believe we had an eighty percent go at at uh, at T zero, but I thought too the weather wasn't looking all that favorable as far as the seven day forecast. And um, SpaceX unfortunately does have a history of not getting the thing off on time. So I would have voted with Sawyer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Speaking of weather. Let me tell you a, a short uh, weather synopsis. After the pre-launch press briefing that was at 6 o'clock local time, the sky was extremely dramatic looking with color from the sunset and also ominous, dark, nasty looking clouds off to the west. And it had rained. We'd had some thunder, I think, in the area. And... Uh, it, I, I thought, oh boy, this is not looking good. And of course, we heard the weather officer give his forecast at this front that's lingering over Florida. If it moves through, will be uh, there'll be a 40% probability of, of conditions prohibiting launch. And if it doesn't move through, then 24-hour scrub, 48-hour scrub, and you know, talking about all those details. But just the way it looked outside Saturday night, and knowing that they planned to roll the Falcon 9 out to the pad um, that they had until 1 o'clock local time on launch day, with launch being at 8.35, but they had until 1 o'clock to get the rocket out to the pad. And, of course, then I walked outside and I saw what the weather looked like there, and I thought, well, I'm going to be wrong on this one. I said it was going to go, but man, the weather looks like it may be killing us because when they talk about a lingering front in Florida and a front that moves and then it actually backs up and it can mess up weather for days. The funny thing was, being at the causeway, I knew that there was going to be an ISS pass. Sawyer, you and I were talking about this back in May for the first attempt to launch. We had a great ISS pass out there on the causeway. Yeah, I actually was the one who was pointing out to the people all around us. I'm like, ISS. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. And that well, was about three to five minutes before launch, I think. Well, this time there was a pass from the south to the east. It was a low pass. It was only 15 degrees above the horizon maximum altitude. And coincidentally, the weather that I was so concerned about had uh, finally eased south. And uh, the ISS was obscured by this, you know, massive area of clouds off to the south of us so i didn't see it the other thing too mark this was an instantaneous launch window mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken i mean this was really really tight this 
thing had to go at 835.07, like it or not. And gosh darn it, it did it. So. Although, if I remember correctly, launch window is actually 10 seconds, but it's to the point where they call it instantaneous, where even if there was something where they had to delay it by 10 seconds, they would call it. Oh, yeah, gee, 10 seconds. Yeah, they, <laughs> the actual launch window is 10 seconds. They, they, wow. couldn't, they couldn't stop and restart the clock in the amount of time that's available, so effectively it's an in- instantaneous window is what I've heard. Right, yeah, that's exactly. why they just called it that. So it's interesting, the second payload there on the Falcon 9 was a small satellite for Orbcom, and with what we've been talking about with the engine problem on launch on the first stage, Apparently, for reasons that are not really explained here and what I see from the Wall Street Journal, that that satellite did not reach its proper orbit. They're referring referring to it on this article as stranded, and they're trying to determine if the satellite's propulsion system can move it into a useful orbit. And they do say, and this makes perfect sense, in any event, the satellite's operating life will almost certainly be curtailed because fuel reserves would be reduced. So interesting to see how that works out. That was a mention that I saw just as we started to record, so we'll have to see how that develops in the days to come, because sometimes finding out the problem and the solution does not happen as quick as we'd like, at least as far as what we see in the news. And the last thing we want to do is have another piece of space debris up there, so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Space Debris. Yeah. The Space Debris podcast. Wow, that that's pretty amazing that it didn't make it. I'm surprised. And I don't think this says anything specifically about SpaceX, though, and its future capability of bringing up satellites, because, I mean, that's not its main goal. Its main goal is to dock to a satellite, not to bring one up. But I still think that's interesting for SpaceX's future, that that's on their record. Yeah, but we still don't know where the fault was. We don't know if it was the, the, if it was the Falcon 9 or the way it went up or if it was the... Uh, the satellite itself so you know again we'll have to to see how this story unfolds but mark wow i mean that's that's that uh that's a bummer for uh for orcom to bring up the, the 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 actual press there were some changes um with the press team at this particular launch were they not mark i mean we had some had some uh i don't want to say newbies in the group but uh we did um, could you tell the can you tell the world a little bit about the dy- dy- dynamic that was that was in the press corps this particular time? Well, I saw a press release and it related to the NASA opening accreditation to social media for the launch. And I read it and it says, yeah, there's a NASA social. It's going to coincide with the SpaceX launch and blah blah blah. And I didn't really look at it. And then actually after last week's show, I got to thinking about it on the following day. And I said, you know, I need to look at that. I knew there was something different about this. Let me look and see if I remember. And here just in a few lines, it said, social media users selected to attend will be given the same access as journalists in an effort to align the access and experience of social media representatives with those of traditional media. Uh, skipping through parts of it, it said there will be no special badge, tour, or program for social media attendees. And that's the way it was run. They had the same access. You could come in and and be in the news center at the same times as the, the traditional media. Um, you got on the same buses. You had access to the same briefings. And that was different. And I, I thought it would be, and I was curious how it was going to go. Um, I know Sawyer's got some comments on this, but 
but first I'll mention that I did get to talk to a number of the social media attendees and some of them had been to previous events uh, that would that would fall in the realm of, of what people are used to hearing about if you've heard of NASA Social or NASA TweetUp before. Uh, but this was some that were there for their very first event. So they had a mix of veterans as well as some new folks. And I've got some reactions from some people that I talked to. I haven't had a chance to edit those and go through them. And with everything we've got to talk about, we need to save that for next week's show and, uh, and give it justice. But Sawyer, what do you think? Well, first off, did, weren't they put in like the little launch annex that they kind of had set up there for their main base? Yes, they had the annex building available to them, and some were in there, and, and some were in the news center. It just depended on where people felt like going, but people were scattered. In fact, sometimes I would see the folks that were there from NASA Social, and I would say, uh, hey, I just heard there's something going on. They got to talk to Charlie Bolden and had a little one-on-one -on -one time with them as a group, which it's funny the press didn't get that. I was going to say, Mark, was there any resentment in the press as far as having the social media there? Because I, I know um, there's a little combativeness between some of the, the Twitter, you know, when, when they were doing the NASA socials or the NASA tweet-ups, as they were called. I know there was a little resentment within the press about that. But was, was, was there any, you know, talk about that? I could tell you, but I'd have to shoot you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> A, a story, a story. Well, I can tell you my answer. You've got some comments. Yeah, let's hear this. All right, hang on. Let me just pull the soapbox out. It's a little dusty. <laughs> I haven't used it in a while. I'll lend you mine. <laughs> oh, no, mine, mine's good. It's still here. Just got to <laughs> dust it off a little bit. All right. So here's the thing. I was watching one of the press conferences, and I heard a cell phone going off. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, great. You, you can't think to mute or silence your cell phone. I mean, if you've actually been into the NASA press room, which not many have, they have TVs on the side of the room and play and things all over the room where the little signs that say, please turn off all cellular devices. Turn them off. Simple as that. Not silence them. Turn them off. They remind you, make sure your phones are turned off. You would think that people would turn their phones off. I get that some of the media sometimes don't, but... 99 times out of 100, they will turn their phones off, and that's just part of media etiquette. It's something that you kind of eventually learn as you, you know, be there with the media. And if not, it's something that they teach you very quickly by kicking you out. <laughs> but anyway, besides that, I mean, just the way that they opened it up to these people who, like I was saying, don't really know what media is all about and the media etiquette and things like that. Anybody could come in. I mean, I could sign up for a Twitter account one day before the deadline and submit it saying, I want to do this thing, and then get it. I, I just find that a little scary. Plus, you get these people, a lot of them, like I'm saying, don't know the media etiquette. They don't know what's appropriate to ask and what isn't. True, there are some media members out there who I won't name, but you can probably guess who I'm talking about, who don't censor themselves and will ask those type of questions. But it, it just opens up a whole can of worms that I feel is just, I, I don't know, I don't even want to touch that, because it feels like you could get some really, you know, sketchy type questions in there. On top of that, I feel like this is just a dig to the media people. I, I mean, we've been on this show for three years. 
we had to create a reputation for ourselves that we're not just, you know, three or four people just randomly chatting about whatever, like we're sitting over a cup of coffee over anything that comes to mind. No, we look up our facts, we find our stories, and we had to prove to people that we're not just this little tiny show. We had to prove that we are a respectable source and that we should be accepted into the NASA media room and that we will follow all the guidelines and that we will report as best as we can on what's going on. We had to work for that. We had to work for the respect from our listeners. And once we got that, we then were able to get into NASA. After that, we still had to work to get the respect of the press folks that are already there. I mean, there are guys that have been there for such a long time with all of the major networks. And here's this little show that they're like, all right, we think that they're good enough. We'll let them in. We had to prove ourselves in that case to them that, hey, you know, we may not be a major TV network where you have three million viewers, but we're still good at what we do. We still are respectful and we're still a good media group. And we earned that. We had to work hard to get that respect, whereas anybody now, it seems like, can just sign up for a Twitter account the day before and get in. I, I feel like just letting any random tweeter or social media person in makes all that work that we do, you know, all that work that we did to get where we are today, to have that respect that we have whenever we go down to a NASA press event, just makes it seem kind of silly. Like, why do we do all that work? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, Sawyer. But you got to remember too. We um, we started out um, back in you know. Uh, for the record, we started out back in two thousand September two thousand nine as this little little program, and yeah, ag agreed. We had to pay our dues, and we did for about a year and a half. But um, we got a little bit of respect. And Mark, you know, I have to thank you for a lot of a lot of that groundwork you put that out, and. Um, uh, really, really got us a good reputation in amongst there. I mean, I think our first event was what the AMS arrival um, that we were allowed to uh, to go to, Mark, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, August of 2010. That's right, and um, we had to really, really work hard to. You know, I'll, I'll agree with you there, sorry. We, we had to work hard to go ahead and earn our stripes, if you will. But I think NASA's seeing um, the value of social media. They're they're seeing what happens, and and quite frankly, we started out that way. And and Mark, I think I I, I fired you a, a, a you know direct message on Twitter, saying you know I kind of feel we we you know th this little merry band that we set up about maybe oh shoot um, you know back a few years ago really pioneered that. And uh, I mean you know, this you know I then I, I said this to. Uh, Veronica, Veronica McGregor during the, the Mars Science Laboratory uh, event, that this group was kind of sort of, you know, formed out of some of the, the social media stuff. So, but um, to, to kind of agree with Sawyer a little bit on that, um, yeah, you have to earn your stripes a little bit. And I don't know what the selection process was, and I don't know... Um, you know what the criteria was, but NASA only allowed uh, you know a certain amount of the social media folks in there. I believe it was and, fifty. Right, and 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 you know was it you know the question Sawyer was it part of the tweet up or or, or the or the NASA social event, or was it just independent of that or, or or what? That was the NASA social event. Wow, really? Okay. From what uh, I'm so understanding is that the NASA social event was that you were given press credentials. 
you got to go to the same special events that the press did rather than, you know, the press going to the launch pad one day and then the other group going three, four hours later with different access. No, it was that they were given the same access. They could go to the same press conferences. They could go to the same tours that they sometimes offer. Same access as the press for everything. Same, and that was their event, it seems like. Same, same, same. I'll tell you what the difference was. Uh, the ID that uh, I had, mine said news media, and theirs said social media. That was the only difference, literally. And I'll mention that uh, I was curious what people thought about this, but the news chief at the press site is Allard Butel. And I looked on the contact page of the uh, press site on the website and noticed that Allard's name wasn't there anymore. I thought, gee, I wonder where he went. Well, I walk in the door, and there he sits at the counter with the name tag in front of him that says Washington Headquarters. And I said, Allard, where have you been? He said, I'm in, he said, I'm in Washington now. I said, oh, what cool. You, he said, what are you doing? And he gave me his card, and I'll read you what it says in the card, and then I'll tell you the simple version. He's the Deputy Director, News and Multimedia Division, Office of Communications, NASA Headquarters. The simple version is, he said, I was, I was news chief here at KSC. He said, now I'm in management. I essentially have the same function, but I'm overseeing the, uh, you know, that, that function for, the, for headquarters. And he said, I, I deal with things that involve questions coming in from the press to headquarters about budget, about future plans, and different things. So he's still, he's still in, in a very similar capacity, but at a higher level. And I, I talked to him for a few minutes about the NASA social. And he said, you know, he said, things are changing, and it's time yes. for us to change. And he said, we're doing this to see how it works. And he mentioned that the first time that uh, the NASA social was included with media was the FY 2013 budget news conference earlier this year in Washington. And uh, in the press release that I referred to earlier, it says that was the first time they invited social media participants to join reporters. And uh, this was Bob Jacobs that was quoted here. He said, after expressing initial concerns, we believe traditional media was pleased with the outcome. We look forward to evaluating how everyone works together this time, this time meaning the SpaceX. So NASA is looking at this as a natural extension of the NASA social. There will still be the traditional NASA socials that will have scripted events and speakers coming in and, and specific tours and things much like we've heard. But there's also going to be the things that are very much like this where you walk in the door and you're on your own. This has support at the highest levels and NASA really is looking to see that uh, we feel like we need to do things better. And, and Allard said, you know, NASA has a great reputation amongst federal government type agencies for what we're doing with social media and we want to stay out there in the lead. I'll I'll just interject here Mark too. I've had, you know, just 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 for the for the record, I've had uh, issues getting my other endeavor in on uh, on NASA press conferences because we're perceived as a blog and we're really not. We're sort of a clone of of, of this effort here. Um, we, we, but uh, uh, I, I, again, I'm hoping that that this will will open things up more. But also, Sawyer, 
by what you're saying, I'm hope some I'm hoping some of these bloggers too will will go through you know will be as meticulous as say we are. I mean, we had to we had to go through the school of hard knocks, but gosh darn it, we do, you know all of us on this team we do a lot of research as we go go forward, um, and we really really like triple and and in some case quadruple check our sources, and I'm just hoping that uh, uh, a lot of these bloggers will do the same thing. I agree. I mean, we want to be perceived as a reliable source. I mean, that's part of it, is that we are in the media because we didn't like the way that it was being covered to begin with. That was how the show started. That's correct. Is that now we're checking, double-checking, triple-checking to make sure that we get you, A, every fact, B, every side, and C, express what is opinion and what is known fact. And I get that. But at the same time, I, I can understand where they're coming from. They're both media. There's traditional media, quote-unquote, even though we're technically considered traditional media. What we're doing is, you know, groundbreaking. This is an internet radio show, not a regular radio, internet radio. And that's something that's completely different from anything that they could have imagined five years ago at the press site. But still, it just I, I get that social media is still quote-unquote media, but it just worries me because social media is unfiltered and uncensored and anything goes on Twitter. You follow people at your own risk. And that's just kind of what concerns me is that these people that you follow at your own risk are being led into this type of professional environment and it just scares me. Well, they seem to transition well, and go well, though, Mark. I mean, we had to go through our own little growing pains there, too. I mean, I mean covering a uh, a flight is not like going to a tweet up by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, and there's a lot of legwork. There's a lot of running around. Yeah, you got to be here. You got to be there. And yeah, there, there's there's tons of research that we got to do. I mean, shoot, we were all huddled on you know on you know near our computers at, at a table, which we had to just grab, <laughs> and uh, you know really really do a lot of homework before we even started talking to people. I mean, there were a lot of interview you know, uh, possibilities out there that with folks and we, we did, you know, homework to make sure that we were asking intelligent questions. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that social media realizes the responsibility they have. I mean, when we started this, we did and, and, you know, gosh darn it, we take it seriously. Um, I'm hoping, you know, as you sort of alluded to Sawyer, I'm hoping the social media folks will do the same thing. Right. I mean, if you remember during the live coverage of 135 at the after show, we had an interview with Chris Hadfield. And That's I, right. we didn't have internet. I had no information. I literally said, somebody please run and get me anything on him because my Hello. internet was down. <laughs> That's so what Gene, I did. I was, at, I was actually using my droid. Gene, bless his soul, red somewhere off into the middle of nowhere to get cell reception, looked it up, came back to me with a bunch of stuff scribbled down on a piece of paper, handed it to me as he was being escorted over to our tent. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that too well, Sawyer. I had to I had to leave like 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 maybe I had to walk like twelve feet away, get get reception, looked up a whole bunch of things on the droid, came back, wrote everything down and said, Here you go. Literally it was a small piece of paper ripped off of something larger, just a small corner of a paper with a bunch of flights written down on it and yes. schedules and <laughs> I'm just like flights he'd flown on, the shuttles that he'd flown on, and then upcoming expedition thirty, whatever it was, I think thirty three, but it's like, oh, you yeah. know, the things that you don't think about is that even then, you know, 
even though we only have a short amount of time to get the information, we still wanted to get it and get it right. So that way it's not just the simple questions of what's it like being in space or what you think of the launch. It's, so you've flown on this orbiter before. How is it different? That type of thing. You're yeah, going exactly. to be flying a long-term stay on the station. That way we actually sounded like we know what we're doing. And again, I hope, I say this a lot, I hope that they prove me wrong. And I know for a fact that I am probably going to get hate mail about this. And oh, I'm not boy. saying that this is for everybody. I'm not saying this goes for all of the people. Because I know plenty of people who are friends that have gotten into NASA socials or tweet-ups or whatever they're called at the time. And they have done a phenomenal job covering it and writing up blog posts afterwards and summing it up. They have done a phenomenal job, and I have to credit them. But it's those one or two people that I follow who have gotten accepted that worry me. Okay, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you were aware of this. I actually caught part of it. I didn't see the whole event. But on Friday, October 5th, from about 1 o'clock to 1.30 Eastern Time, there was a Google Plus Hangout with NASA Administrator Charlie Bolden, SpaceX yes. CEO Elon Musk, yep. and it was mediated by John Yembrick. And they were taking questions from people. I asked one of the people that was at the NASA social for SpaceX launch, I said, uh, what did you think about it? He said, yeah, it was pretty good. He had some criticisms of it, and I really didn't feel like I was following what he was saying too well since I only saw 10 minutes. So. Anyway, what do you think about a Google Plus Hangout between people in social media and the, the top two people in those these two agencies? I like that. I mean, it's different. It's different from the formal, you know, old suit and tie type events, even though people don't wear suit and ties anymore. But you know what I mean? It's different from having to dress up, look presentable, be official, have questions ready, you know, go down to the press site or get on that phone bridge and be ready with your questions and to listen to take notes. It's different from that professional environment that you set the social media people in versus just anything where you could be hanging out in, you know, a shirt and jeans in your room, sipping on your beverage of choice, just watching this and participating. I think I like that idea a lot. I think it's brilliant that to get people involved with something as simple as a Google Hangout where you can talk to the head of NASA. I think that's brilliant as compared to the idea of, you know, the official events. I, I'd be happy to have them do tons of Google Hangouts with all different people from NASA and SpaceX and other companies, you know, to get people involved because people want to get involved with their space agency. I get that, and I love that idea, just not for the official press conferences. Yeah, Mark, I'll have to go back and uh, take a look look at that. I, it's probably on the NASA YouTube channel Um and and examine what the quest what the caliber of questions were like and and so on. I mean, th there've been questions from you know the regular press where you know the, 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 there's sort of the the caliber of you know if you were an animal, what animal would you be? That type of thing. Um, but uh, uh, you, you tend to I, I know for a fact you know having been a veteran of a couple that the the NASA tweet ups, aka socials, there were a lot of tough questions coming out of there. And uh, we really, we kind of challenge these guys. And uh, um, I'm hoping that, uh, that, that the same caliber of questions that, that you know, we as a, uh, you know, a tweet up or NASA social group gave um, the presenters were the same, same caliber. So again, before I go ahead and comment, I'll have to go ahead and, and review that and then, you know, get back to me next week.
I think also they sort through the questions. It's a little different where when you go to a press conference and you call on somebody, you can't you know, pre-screen their questions. With these, you can easily go through them and pick the best ones. I'll bring up two points about press conferences and the traditional versus the social media participants. Um, the two press conferences for SpaceX prior to launch, one was a mission science briefing on Saturday, the day before launch, and followed a few hours later by the pre-launch uh, briefing. In one case, I looked around the room, and there were only 20 people. Yeah. And that 20, I don't remember the split. I didn't really try and count heads. But let's say it was half and half. So half social media and half traditional media. There were a few that had questions that raised their hands. And if they hadn't, it would have been a short press conference. There definitely would have been an impact, and it wouldn't have done as well for NASA to have a few traditional media ask a few questions and then have a press conference conclude in record time. Because the people that were there to talk to us, there was a... Uh, a presenter from Montana State University that had some experiment packages going up on SpaceX launch. There was a nutritionist from Johnson Space Center. There was Julie Robinson, the ISS program scientist. There was, uh, leaving somebody out, but there was people there that had some good things. To, oh, there was someone from CASIS, and he was talking about their uh, part in the program in the future, that they would have packages going up on uh, on Dragon launches. But we didn't have enough questions for him. I mean, I was writing down questions, and some of them were tough for me to frame because some of the, particularly the, the hard science things that we were hearing about, you know, I felt like, holy cow, I'm out of my element here, but let me think. I've, I can put together a decent question, and I didn't have to use everything that I had put together, which I was glad for, because some of them weren't that good. And that's one thing I always feel when I'm at a press conference. I want to ask, number one, I want to ask a question that, that I want the answer to. I don't want to make up something just because I think, well, maybe this is a good one. I want to have something that I genuinely want to hear more about. And I find most of the time when I do that, things line up real well with what other people want to hear about. And I was thrilled this weekend to have several people, uh, uh, some people from KSC, the regular media staff there. I uh, had, had one individual tell me, hey, that was a great question you asked. I had one of the other uh, news media reporters say, hey, that was a great question you asked. And it's, you know, some other people on Twitter that also responded that, that I had some good things to say. Uh, but in spite of that, there were times that I didn't have a good one or what I had asked had already been covered and I didn't want to have things go repetitious. So in that respect, it was good those folks were there, I guarantee it. Hey Mark, while we're on that on that particular subject, can you go into a little bit about what science is is going on right now and, and what maybe the, the dragon is going to be bringing up to uh, to the ISS? Well, they're bringing up a, uh, a glacier, which is a chirogenic refrigerator that, you know, you heard all the, the jokes about, well, aren't you taking ice cream up to the astronauts? You've got a freezer going up. 
There's some experiments for uh, fluids research and combustible type experiments. I heard Tara Rutley talk about one of the other experiments in that realm recently. There's uh, some cables for AMS. That got my attention. I had to ask, are these yep. spares? Is this something that's failed? And Julie Robinson told me, nope, these are spares uh, going up for on-hand stock. Uh, there's some coal bags. They're going to be bringing uh, some payloads up for JAXA, for ESA. There's a bio lab. There's um, an experiment for energy balance in astronauts. There's vehicle hardware. The total up mass was 1,995 pounds, 905 kilograms. This is going to be the first time they're going to have a lot of biological samples coming down. In fact, they're going to have 384 urine samples and 112 blood samples that have been collected for various expeditions that they've been unable to bring back. And Dragon is going to bring back these biological samples that the folks in Houston are really excited to be able to continue the research and continue the discovery and finding out the effects of microgravity on the astronauts to get a better understanding of to have long-duration spaceflight. And some of that is what's going to come down with the samples. Yeah, so again, this is this is really cool stuff. I kind of wish I was actually sitting in a press conference. I would have had a <laughs> I would have had a ton of questions oh, to ask. Oh, it was it was it was really a, it was a great press conference at Mission Science Briefing. Uh, iServe is going up. iServe is going to give them high resolution imagery out the window. I asked Julie Robinson. I said, "Well, how does that compare to Earth imaging? You know, to things that we've that assets that are up in orbit now." And she said, "Well, I believe she said a lot of the." Um, a lot of what's commercially available has a resolution of like 30 meters. She said, for instance, Landsat. Landsat's the longest running program we have for Earth imaging. She said, iServe is going to give us one meter resolution, and it's it's a, a, a device that's going to be available um, to education, to, to government, to the public, I guess. So iServe is a pretty cool thing. I didn't really grasp that until she indicated the difference. And it, she said it'll be the highest resolution imaging device that they'll have on station. Previously, there hasn't been anything to compare. And I think, too, um, this there was a payload that's also going up on Dragon that, uh, well, they had to be a little bit flexible with. Apparently, there's a, there's a, urine, there's a urine collection system pump going up that uh, kind of the one up on ISS, I believe, was a little not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I believe that uh, it was supposed to go up, I believe, on ATV4, but um, because of the urgency of it, um, they moved it to CRS-1, which is this mission that's aloft now. And um, SpaceX was extraordinarily flexible in getting that pump up. So uh, they were, you know, they, they basically bent over backwards to make sure that that pump was on, on Dragon. So uh, right. that's going to help them out tremendously. And the question was asked during the press conference uh, at, that Gwen Shotwell answered. She said on our previous launch, we had cargo around the uh, periphery of the Dragon capsule and the center was open. She said this one, we're, we'll be using the center stack as well. And she said, uh, we're full volume-wise. We're not mm -hmm. maximum weight that they could carry going up. But she said they've actually got more mass coming down than they do going up. But they're full both ways. 
Wow. And I believe because nobody else has covered this at all in terms of media, of one thing that they're bringing up, I mean, in their first mission, they brought up a wheel of cheese, if I remember correct. And this time, apparently it was a shock to the people at SpaceX at first, but they're bringing up a frozen treat. Yes, I believe it is blue bonnet vanilla swirl ice cream or something like that. <laughs> um, that was that was just 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 thrown all over the place, and I, and I believe Mark, you were there when when it hatched um, that uh, that this ice cream was going up, and there was I was following this at home, and I was like, oh good lord, there were just tons of questions about this ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of funny. It was it was easy to see during the press conference that uh, that that got everybody's attention because it it made uh, some of this rocket science something that regular folks could grasp, you know. And it was fun. Yeah. It, it's it's cute, and you know, I guess that uh, they worked it out because they came to that post-launch briefing and said yep it's like you just said we we found that out we didn't want to come back to you and not know what we had yeah it's I, it, it's a morale booster for the for the crew up there no doubt but uh wow i mean all the questions that was asked about it and good humor uh, and obviously good publicity <laughs> yeah right dare i say you know where that question came from don't you traditional media that's very from, true. It <laughs> wasn't from social media. And, of course, uh, you know, it, it got quite a bit of attention on the traditional media and as well as on Twitter. It was uh, it was a good, fun moment. So there wasn't anything, uh, wasn't anything wrong with that either. So, Sawyer, next steps for Dragon will occur Wednesday, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Grapple occurs at 7.22 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, correct? On Wednesday, October 10th. The Dragon capsule will rendezvous with the International Space Station at approximately 5 a.m. Eastern Time with grapple by the space station's arm, the SSRMS, at about 7.22 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, that'll be something really interesting and something, of course, we will be giving you updates on on our Twitter account at Talking Space. Yep, that'll, that'll be yours truly. Um, we'll be uh, probably up uh, when coverage starts. I believe NASA television goes on at about, uh, you know, stupid o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, but SpaceX about, is actually smart enough to wait. They usually, you know, their their launch coverage began only 30 minutes before launch, whereas NASA's began an hour and a half. Yeah, NASA's occurs, uh, you know, at, at uh, about, uh, you know, 3.30, I believe, uh, NASA television goes on online at uh, 3.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time uh, on Wednesday. So hopefully by the time this, this particular show gets published, uh, uh, the CRS-1 will be uh, uh, grappled and uh, hooked up to the ISS. So we're looking forward to that very, very much. Yes, indeed. Hopefully it will. <laughs> so if you were at the launch... What did you think? If you were just watching it from at home, you know, what do you think about that? And the big question that I'm really interested in is what's your opinion on the idea of social media being considered actual media at NASA? Because as you can see, I, I, you can probably guess my opinion on it currently. And next week, we will hear from some of those who actually attended. But I'm curious 
to hear your opinion so we can put it in next week's show as well. What do you think about social media being considered as actual media? And, of course, you can send your responses to us as a text or MP3 file to our email address, which is mailbag at TalkingSpaceOnline.com. You can also send it to us as a tweet to at TalkingSpace, or you can post it on our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash TalkingSpace. Because I am honestly interested to hear other people's opinions to know if I'm the only crazy one or not. And hate mail, again, is accepted. <laughs> and I'll throw this in that, uh, of course, I've already mentioned that I talked to some folks that were there for the NASA social. I also have plans. I'm not going to do it this week because it's a little bit too soon, but I'll be talking to some contacts that I have in Washington because I want to see what they think about it afterwards. And I'll get that perspective as well. Can't tell you exactly when that'll be, but I will be doing that. Yeah, Mark, that'll be, that'll be good to hear. Thanks. I'm hoping that this becomes the next um, Saturn V blueprint story. Oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> please, no. No more. No, don't don't reincarnate that. No more. No, please. I mean, I'm hoping that we will get in a, a lot of listener responses like we did to that topic. Actually, yeah, I'm hoping to, too, because it'll be interesting to see what uh, what folks think about it. Especially since a majority of our listeners are social media users. Yeah. Avid, avid social media users. Yeah, so it should be should be kind of interesting. Well, Sawyer, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of expecting that. I, I know. Mean, you know, does concrete <laughs> does concrete overshoes mean anything to you? <laughs> Am I going to end up buried under the giant stadium as well, like Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I'm expecting it, but you know that that's the great part of the show is that we can open it up. To social media for the <laughs> unfiltered opinions to be used on our traditional media show. <laughs> oh, I'm just digging the next deeper, aren't I? Oh, yeah, you might as well. Here, here, I'll throw you the shovel, sorry. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, Mark, thank you for sitting through all of that torture to go to the Kennedy Space Center to cover the launch for us. I know it was such an arduous task. You know what I really liked? I left the house Saturday morning. I was back home in the wee hours of Sunday night slash Monday morning, so it was a quick trip. And I love that three, two, one ignition and liftoff part. Man, that was sweet. When it's not liftoff and we had cutoff, <laughs> as our good friend George Diller said. I'm happy to go down there. I really am. And I appreciate the, the chance to contribute to Talking Space with all this good information it's a lot of fun thanks no problem and thank you for joining us of course gene mcculka thank you sawyer and i just want to give a shout out to uh veronica, Mc veronica mcgregor over at uh, jpl she was uh, rting the uh, the talking space feed that i was feverishly trying to to get together on twitter so uh, again veronica thanks a whole lot and mark cannot thank you enough you you came in and and represented us extraordinarily well over at ksc so again my you know you're a gentleman and a scholar thank you so much indeed thank you as well mark ratterman and my hats off to nasa and spacex for the win yes indeed for the win and we will of course keep track of the crs1 flight and you can also, as always, follow all of the updates on our Twitter account at Talking Space. We'd like to thank you for joining us here on this show. We hope you'll, of course, join us next week, and we hope you'll send us those heated letters. And, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are, and go SpaceX.